0: Mary Moody made her name as a gardening writer, but she's probably most well-known for her French trilogy, Au Revoir, Last Tango in Toulouse, and The Long Hot Summer. Written during her time in France, where she lived alone for six months while her family remained in Australia, they were bestsellers in Australia and overseas. She's also author of The Long Table, a food memoir, Mary has had a long passion for gardening. She moved from Sydney to Lura in the late 1970s with her family and there became an avid gardener and self-sufficiency advocate. Her gardening and love of writing led to a number of columns on gardening and eventually many books, including the Macmillan Gardening Encyclopedia, Mary Moody's Roses and The Good Life in the 90s, a book about self-sufficiency. Her latest book is Sweet Surrender, Love, Life and the Whole Damn Thing. This book was written after her adventures in France when Mary returned to Australia and embraced the inevitable, growing older and the importance of family. So, Mary, thanks for joining us today.
1: Great to talk to you, Valerie.
0: Now, tell us, how did you first start writing? When did that happen that you discovered that you enjoyed writing?
1: Well, I think I must have been born with ink in my veins. In (laughs) fact, both my parents were journalists, Um, one of my grandfather's Grandfathers had been a journalist way back in the 1920s and I grew up in a house where um, books were being read all the time and I always did well at English and especially at expression at school. So when I left school, um, understandably, I went and trained as a journalist and back in those days, of course, you didn't go to uh, communications at university to become a journalist. You did on-the-job training, a cadetship, which is like an apprenticeship, so... Mm -hmm. I went to Consolidated Press and uh, Woman's Weekly was the magazine. I got my cadetship on and did a three-year training and I've really been writing ever since.
0: And you really made your name about writing, about gardening. So Mm. how did that all happen?
1: Well, I've been very fortunate in my life in the sense that my passions have ended up becoming um, my career. My career path has followed my passions. And back in the 70s when I had my young family, I had the first of um, four children. I had two at that stage. And I was reading an awful lot about chemicals um, in the environment, especially in the food chain, about pesticides being used on fruit and vegetables, about chemical fertilizers, about sprays. And I was absolutely horrified, um, and so I decided I needed to grow all well, our own fruit and vegetables and herbs, and um, which was a bit crazy as we lived in a tiny little semi-detached cottage in Crow's Nest. So um, I started looking up in the Blue Mountains, uh, which is an area where we could afford, and we got about an acre of ground up there with a lovely old house, and I moved our entire family, which at that stage was my husband David, the two kids. And my mum, Muriel, who was a retired sub editor mm. and um, so she was a you know obviously a journo too, and we moved to Lura and I taught myself to garden by reading books um, mm. and by talking to gardeners, I had very good gardeners living all around me mm. and so I joined the garden club and just became passionately enthusiastic about gardening and At that point, I thought, well, my career as a writer will probably fade away because I'm not living in Sydney any longer, um, out of town and once, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. But various journalist friends of mine would come up for the weekend, as people love to do when you live in the mountains, and sit around your open fire and drink wine all weekend. And um, they were very, very impressed by my gardening. Um, this is a couple of years down the track when I'd really got the hang of it and I think I started by writing a gardening column for Home Journal magazine and it took off from there and suddenly publishers were getting in touch with me and saying would I edit a book or would I write a book or would I, well I ended up editing about four series of gardening magazines taking all the photographs myself so I taught myself to use, I got myself a really good camera and taught myself to use that and I think the reason I was successful is that before that, gardening books had been written by botanists and horticulturists and they were inclined to be a little bit um, formal and a little bit scientific and perhaps not very accessible. And because I was writing as a passionate amateur and you know, making people feel as though they, they could garden too, um, and it really just worked. And so for 25 years, that was my career and it was a great career to have working from home, Mm -hmm. even before... um, I mean, I started off on an electric typewriter and I used to have to courier my... All my manuscripts down to Sydney, um, and then eventually I got a computer, and then eventually the internet happened, and um, now I mean I can send a manuscript. I mean the manuscript of my new book, Sweet Surrender, I actually sent it from Heathrow Airport because I put the finishing touches to it on the plane and <laughs> and sat in the in in the Qantas lounge and pressed send, and my publisher in Sydney had it immediately. So so anyway, I've been fortunate that that the things that I've loved doing in my life have ended up. Thing, the things I've written about.
0: God love the internet hey wonderful for writers because it basically means you can write from anywhere these days.
1: That's right and that's given me tremendous flexibility because I I divide my time between three places between here near Bathurst where we have the farm um, France obviously I don't get as much time there but still have the little house there in France and also now. Canada Vancouver Island because my sister lives over there and she's quite sick she has Alzheimer's and um so I spend I can I can in fact I edited the editing of Sweet Surrender was done from Canada no it really does it it gives tremendous flexibility.
0: Now you've you moved from gardening to writing memoir and you're a very successful series did you actually make that conscious decision oh I'd like to try something a different genre now or how did that come about in the first place?
1: (laughs) Well, once again, it was a bit sort of um, serendipity. I had decided at the age of um, 49 that I wanted to have some time off. My kids had grown up and left home. I'd been working for the ABC's gardening show for nine years and um, I'd been meeting deadlines constantly. I had my garden open as part of the open garden scheme. Um, I had been caring for my mother who'd become very frail and elderly at that point. Mm. And I thought, you know, once the kids left home, I thought, this is my chance to go and, and, and live in another culture. And so I told my agent, um, Lynn Tranter, not to sign me up for any book deals for six months that I was going to, you know, I'd taken six months from um, off from the ABC mm-hmm. and um, that I was going to go off and have this adventure and live on my own. I'd never lived on my own before. And she said, well, why are you doing that? And I more or less said, you know, that, as I'd explained, that I'd had this incredibly busy, hectic life so far and I wanted this downtime. And she said, I think that'll make a fantastic book. And I remember being horrified because I thought, well, the whole reason I'm running away is that I'm trying to get away from deadlines. Um, But nevertheless, she introduced me to a publisher, Tom Gilliatt at Pan Macmillan. And I said, well, I'm not going to take an advance because I don't know if I'll get around to writing the book. This is my holiday. I don't want to be sitting, you know, I don't want to be sitting in front of a computer during my six months. But In fact, the first three months I didn't do anything. I just reveled in being on my own and, and, you know, that wonderful freedom and having no possessions, just living in this little room in the back of a shop in a medieval village. I just had a bed and a table and two chairs. And I did have a little laptop, but I didn't have the internet. I didn't have a phone. I didn't really have anything. It was Mm. wonderful. And um, nobody could interfere with me or touch me or ask me, you know, to do anything. It was a fantastic um, period of my life anyway. Eventually, um, I thought I would put some thoughts down on paper and Tom Gilliard had said something quite interesting to me. He said, "Um, we don't want you to write a travelogue. We don't want you to just write about where you go and who you meet and what you see. We want you to write about yourself as a middle-aged woman and why you've reached this point where you have this desperate need to just get off and be on your own for a while. And um, so when I started to write, I found that quite um, difficult to deal with um, the whole factor of writing about myself or writing, you know, from within myself. Mm. Because as a journalist, mm. you're trained to write about other people. You you're trained to interview them and draw their stories out and write about them. And you and you never, you know, a good journalist never sort of winds themselves into the story at all. You're completely in the background. Anyway, um, I didn't even know what person to write it in. I remember <sighs> ringing in Tranter and saying you know, what person, she said, first person you see, woman, it's your story. So off I went. And, you know, it was just quite cathartic experience because um, I'd had a difficult childhood. My parents, um, our parents had been both alcoholic. There was a lot of domestic, um, you know, violence. And uh, it was a pretty hairy sort of, I mean, it had its good points. No, no childhood is all black and bleak. But, mm. um, uh, you know, there'd been a lot of sadness there and, um and once I actually started writing about it, i I started to I was sitting in this little room in front of my computer, sobbing my eyes out because for the first time, you know I was really confronting my childhood in print, which is very different from talking about it. I mean, I'd obviously talked about it to my husband David and had even talked to my children about it. But it's not till you actually um it's so much more tangible when you write things down. So, I found it quite emotional, Mm. um, and I wrote about my sister running away from home at 18 because she couldn't deal with my father's, um, aggression and I wrote about all those sorts of things and then, and I also wrote about, you know, eating and drinking and having fun in France and kicking my heels up and all of that Mm. and came back and, and did give the book to Pan Macmillan and, um. And I can remember thinking, well, nobody will be very interested in this book. (laughs) I really did. I mean, I I thought, who, you know, nobody cares about my dysfunctional childhood in Mossman or anything like that. But in fact, it was extraordinary. I mean, we did a publicity tour um, just to kick the book off. And sort of within two weeks, it was in the best, in the top 10. Mm -hmm. And it stayed in there for ages. And it sold, I can't remember how many, but well, close to 200,000, I think, um was that so, surprising to you? Oh, I was absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> I mean, I I honestly could not believe it. Um and yes, it just sh- it just sort of um demonstrated to me that people actually do love other people's stories and especially mm. if they're told in a very candid way, if you're very honest and and you don't you sort of um you don't try and fudge it at all, um people really will relate to it and I guess that's what happened.
0: Mm -mm. And the second book in this series, Last Tango in Toulouse, especially got a lot of attention because you write about the affair that you had when you were there. Did you expect such different reactions from different types of reactions from the public and from your reading public? Um, And how has it affected, you know, your relationship with your family in the aftermath of it?
1: Well, see, that's a whole big tricky thing when you're writing about something as um, deeply personal and... Well, it was traumatic mm. as that, and it had devastating consequences within the family um, in relationship to my relationship with my husband, of course mm. primarily but also my children um, that was that was an enormous dilemma because after the success of au revoir, mm. the publishers obviously wanted me to keep writing, and so I went back to France. Um, I started to write the second book, and I thought, well, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to write about, but I knew that it had to be positive and it had to be personal and all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. because that's obviously what people had related to with the first one. Mm-hmm. And I went back to France, and so I must have been about a third of the way through the book, writing of the book, when the affair happened. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was not, I had not planned it. It just came like a bolt of lightning out of the blue. I was completely. Um, traumatized I guess I mean I think I lost something like about um, 15 kilos I Mm. just kind of couldn't eat couldn't I was paralyzed with the emotion of the whole thing Mm. and I came back to Australia and my husband had worked out what was going on and um, so we had this huge um, confrontation and the family and we're all involved and all informed about what had been going on and it was just a ghastly period but I had a deadline and Mm. I remember I rang Tom my publisher and said look Tom I don't think I can actually write this book because my life's you know turned upside down this thing has happened and it's over but it's got you know dire consequences and and he said well it's up to you if you if you want to keep writing keep writing if you feel you can't write anymore because of what's happened that's you know that's your call and what I did was I just kept writing and I wrote um exactly what had happened. I thought, well, I'll just go for it and write the whole thing down. And my husband was very opposed to that idea. Mm. So I also wrote um, another version of the book, a very similar with a lot of different things happening, but I just did not mention the affair. Mm. And when I read both books through, I realized that one of them had a ring of um, honesty to it. And the other one just was a deeply unsatisfying book, really, because you knew something was wrong with this woman. Mm. Me as a central character, you know, crazy as it seems, you knew something was wrong, but you really didn't know what it was. And um, uh, so in the end, I said to my husband, I really, really want to go with the honest story. And he read it and he, and I changed some things mm. just to make him more comfortable. But... Um, uh, I just left a few things out that he, he thought were a bit too deeply personal. And um, and he read it and he said, well, I don't like this book. I'm never going to like it, but um, I, it's your life, it's your story, and um, I support your right to write about what happened to you. Mm-hmm. So he, in fact, actually physically delivered the manuscript, the printed manuscript to Pam McMillan oh, himself goodness. as just to demonstrate that he totally supported what I was doing. And so, it was. A, look, it was a nightmare. And um, then the publicity afterwards was actually the really unpleasant um, part of it. Um, some people were fantastic, but some um, journalists, especially male journalists, I did get a bit of a savaging um, in a couple of interviews. and And I really believe there is a double standard. I think that if a man wrote about falling in love with someone in the middle of his life and facing the dilemma of, you know, was he going to stay in his marriage or not, people would admire him for his honesty but because I'm a woman and a grandmother Mm. you know it was some some men just some male journalists just could not deal with that at all so I did get a lot of flack but at the end of the day I think it was the only way to do it I couldn't really do a Cheryl Kono and Mm. and just leave those things out. Mm.
0: Was the writing process therapeutic for you in some way? Did it help you get over the trauma of it?
1: absolutely in fact, that was something I discovered when I wrote the first one. That um, it was like a form of therapy, um, writing down about my childhood, and then with everything that had happened, with the affair and, and ending the relationship, and you know, feeling so terrible about my husband and angry with him, um, you know, because I felt that. You know, our relationship had had we'd grown apart, and that's why this had happened. Um, to actually sit down and write it out, it crystallises your thoughts, and it actually helps you to make sense of the whole thing mm. somehow. I don't quite know how, but it certainly did for me, mm. and and that's how it's been ever since. With um, you know, there was another book after Last Tango mm. called um, The Long Hot Summer, and certainly with this latest book, the same thing. It is like a form of um, intensive therapy when you sit down and, and get it all down on paper. Mm-hmm.
0: So this fu- this most recent book, Sweet Surrender, sounds kind of like it's like a final book in the series. Do you, is it? Are you planning to write more memoir?
1: Well, you know, every time I write one, I think it's going to be the last one. <laughs> um, you know, when I finished um, The Long Hot Summer, I thought, well, I'm never, ever going to do this again um, because um, I really Find you know in a way it's like sort of standing naked in the street when you're mm. writing all of this stuff down and 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 I mean I I get fantastic um, emails through my website and fantastic letters through the publisher from readers both men and women but mostly women mm. and that sort of um, urges me along or, or encourages me to feel that it's okay to keep going. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to do another one and in fact I did all sorts of other things to distract myself. I I made a film for SBS on, on the restaurant in France um, where I spent a lot of time which is a working man, man's cafe that has been in one family for 100 years and five generations of women mm. um, run it. So I made that documentary. It went to air um, last January and I wrote a book for Pan Macmillan about it also mm. called Lunch with Madame Murat and I I did a Rose book and I... Um, you know another gardening book, and um, I I, di- I wrote a cookbook. I was sort of desperately wanting to do all sorts of things that weren't um, just about my personal life. Mm. And, in fact, I'd signed a contract with Pan Macmillan to write a, a book that was a general book about the baby boomer generation and how we, we are fighting um, the notion of ever growing old and mm. how we, you know, can have a bit of Botox and go to the gym and climb mountains and dance on tables and, you know, we're never going to surrender to ageing at all. Mm. And then all these different things happened in my life. My um, sister was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, which was devastating, and one of my grandchildren... Um, who already had problems um she developed epilepsy and was seriously you know she still is um has a a very very difficult life um will never walk or talk or and can't feed has to be fed with a tube, so that's become a very difficult thing. um two of my adult children um went through um marriage breakdowns. And I found that incredibly confronting and difficult. And I was diagnosed with an autoimmune system disease, which isn't um, imminently life-threatening, but does have some sinister long-term connotations. And I just couldn't write this book about the baby boomers. It was going to be called Forever Young. I thought, this is ridiculous. I don't believe in this anymore, you know, this whole notion that we can just and go on with some, and they'll never, you know, there are no consequences, I guess, for actions. And so I had yet another painful meeting with Tom, painful in the sense with Tom Gilliatt, in the sense that I was saying to him, oh, I can't do this book, I don't believe in it. Mm. And he said, Well, why not write about these things that are happening in your life? Because a lot of people will relate to them you know you're Mm. you're caring for your sister with Alzheimer's a lot of women in their 50s or and men care for elderly parents with Alzheimer's and a lot of people have children and grandchildren with severe disabilities Um, a lot of people get sick themselves a lot of people deal with their children's marriage breakdowns and so basically I mean I did sigh a big sigh of sort of, oh, here we go again. But um, <laughs> I, di- I tended to agree with him. I thought, all right, well, there is a lot of material here. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, um, and so off I went again, um, you know. And, and it does feel like the end. It really does. But, you know, already within within a day and a half of that book coming out, I was getting e- emails through the website from people saying, oh, I just love that you make me feel normal, you make mm. me feel that, you know, I'm part of the human race because it's happening to other people too and, um, and, and please keep writing. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> in the midst of everything that's going on in your life and the number of books that you, that you write, how do you fit writing into your obviously very hectic <laughs> schedule? Is there, a, is there a daily routine that you go through? What, what happens?
1: Well, when I've signed a contract and I so I either the contract always has a deadline, you know, mm. the book manuscript has to be x number of words at least and it has to be delivered on a certain date. Mm. I tend to just sit down with a calendar and I work out approximately how many words I need to write a day. Mm. And that, you know, I don't I don't want to be writing at the weekends because that's grandchildren time and family time, gardening time. Um and I I, you know, allow myself the times when I take off on my tricks and things like that. I sort of deduct all the obvious things and I usually deduct at least um a couple of weeks for, you know, getting sick or, mm. or just not being in the mood. Mm. And then I'm incredibly disciplined and I literally get up, um, my husband um gives me a cup of tea in bed and then I leap up and I'm in front of that computer until lunchtime. And I usually knock off at lunchtime and then in the afternoon I can garden or, or do any other creative thing or go and visit you know some of the family who live you know only 40 minutes away or something like that mm. so I would say then it would be maybe four hours a day mm. and in that time I can usually write a couple of thousand words.
0: That's pretty good for four yeah, hours. Yeah well
1: you know it just um, I think I I think the way I write is the way I talk so mm-hmm. I'm a very straightforward communicator. My father As a journalist, once said to me, you know, never use a um, a complex or a big word if there is a shorter equivalent, Mm. a more common, you know, commonly used equivalent. So I'm not, I don't think I write in a literary style. I write in a very um, communicative style, which is basically... um, uh, it flows I guess it just flows so I'm not agonizing over sentences or mm. or trying to dream up metaphors or trying to sort of I mean I want to paint a picture I love to paint a picture of where I am at any particular time mm. but you can do that in a very very straightforward fashion and basically what I'm about is is telling the story um, yeah. so yeah I try and get a couple of thousand words written and
0: and I think as I a journalist, you're used to writing so many words in such a short period of time as well. I, I don't know if you found this, but um, as, as a journalist myself, I found that with quite a lot of my book deadlines, which, you know, I, I took very seriously, the deadlines, that is, um, mm. a couple of weeks before, a few weeks before, I would always be getting messages from the publisher saying, would you like extra time? And I couldn't understand why, why no, they were would... so how irritating.
1: <laughs> I'd be... Been... I'd be yes. terribly irritated because really, by the time I get to the end of the book, I'm so jack of it. I really yes. just want to get rid of it. That's right. And um And the last thing I want is to is contemplate another four weeks of writing. I mean, mm. I know you have to go then, subsequently go through all of the um, post-production with the editor and that sort of thing. But um, mm. yeah.
0: Yes, very irritating. Um I'm,
1: I'm, I'm quite happy when I meet the deadline. I'm happy to press the button and send it down the line to the publisher and then, have a bit of a breathing space and i love editors i think editors just take what you do and make it that much better they have a an outside eye on everything mm. a different perspective um i've had excellent editors on my books and um and they've always said to me oh i want to know more about this and you know they're more or less well not drawn it out of me but but in the in the you know after i've done the first draft and then the editor goes through they they really do encourage you um, to put more down, mm. to, to be more explicit.
0: Tell us about The Long Table, food menu. Well, The Long Table
1: was a gorgeous project. I love working on that. And the idea was um, to do a cookbook because mm-hmm. I'm a mad, keen cook, mm-hmm. um, and as were my parents, um, and, and my daughter, too, is a very good cook. Um But once again, the publisher didn't just want a list of recipes. They wanted it to be a bit of a a story, a bit of a journey as well. Mm. So it was great fun. I reflected on um, growing up in the 50s and 60s and the food we used to eat back then and and the way we shopped, which was so different to Mm. the supermarkets of today when, you know, the groceries were just – you you dropped a list into the green grocer and the the grocery store and everything was delivered in cardboard cartons on the back porch (laughs) – Um, And I wrote about all of that. Then I wrote about when I started to have my own family and how passionate I was about fresh food and how I started to garden in order to grow all these veggies and have the fruit myself and wrote about the sort of healthy food I was cooking in the 70s for my family and then, but very traditional sort of meals. Mm. And then I wrote about the fun of going off to France and discovering the markets and, Mm. And then ultimately I wrote the last chapter was about being here at the farm and cold climate and, you know, fires going and grandchildren coming and sitting around the table. So it was a very personal book, but it it wasn't personal in the same sense of being, um, you know, I wasn't, there were no revelations. Mm. It It was just a lovely family memoir around food and I loved doing it.
0: What are you writing now? What are you working on now?
1: Well, believe it or not,
0: Mm -hmm. Valerie,
1: I'm working on um, a novel.
0: A fictional novel?
1: A fictional novel, yeah. So So I'm having a go at that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, that's completely different.
1: Yes, well, I didn't ever think I had um, any talent for fiction. But several years ago, I was invited to go in a competition called Once Upon a Deadline in which a whole bunch of authors were given a computer for a day and sent around a lot of different locations. Oh yes, us. I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so and once again, my journalistic skills came in very, very handy because we had to write 1,200 words, mm. and then we had to stand up at the end of it and do it as a performance piece to a live audience, um, and there were about a thousand people there plus the judges, and um, and so I. I wrote exactly 1,200 words, and which nobody else did. Everybody else overwrote to Billy-O. Mm. And um, anyway, I won the competition. I couldn't believe it. And it was pure fiction. It was total fantasy. Mm. Um, it was a, um, a thriller in 1,200 words. And so I thought to myself, well, if I ever really decided to turn my hand to it, I could probably do it. So, in fact, there are two ideas I've got. One is um, a very lighthearted hearted comedy sort of fun book i um, writing and I've already done a few chapters basically about a bunch of um, expats from all over the world who buy a chateau in France and mm-hmm. set themselves up as a like a retirement village for themselves in a chateau and the other one is a more dramatic book which is based upon my father's life um, and the fact that he lived in America during the war and was a correspondent for the Sydney Daily Telegraph right and um and so it's i've got to go and spend some time in new york and washington where he used to go to all of roosevelt's press conferences and i've got to do some actual real in-depth research and, and get hold of all the stories that he filed and that sort of thing. So that's going to be – but I, I want to fictionalise it because I think I can make it more interesting that way.
0: So have you actually got three on the boil or are you deciding which one to pursue? Or? I think
1: I'm going to go with the light-hearted one first because uh-huh. the other one's going to take more research. Right. So – and I'm doing my usual things. I'm just about to go off to China and do a trick to look for plants in the Himalayas and um, – yeah, keeping myself busy as ever.
0: Well, your writing is nothing but varied and fascinating, especially <laughs> the, um, especially the books that are based on you know your life and your experiences. But I, I think it'll be absolutely fascinating to see the fictional work when that finally comes out.
1: Oh well, I yes, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into it.
0: Well, thank you. On that note, thank you very much for your time today, Mary. It's
1: been wonderful to talk to you.
0: ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.